Good morning, everybody. Everybody having a good past week? I always always say, is everybody having a good week? And everybody reminds me, it's only a couple weeks old. It's going pretty good. So I always have to change that up, right? I've got to change how I say it. You know, I was at Bible study this morning. I was thinking about it. You know, if anybody knows how I teach and preach, sometimes I'm very dogmatic when it comes to certain aspects of Scripture, right? But then I was thinking about the class here this morning as I was sitting there, and I was like, you know what? I've got I to gotta, I change something real quick. Because when Gina was up here, or Gina gave some advice and, uh, or her thoughts on uh, Acts 2, 42 through 46. And I said, you know, I respectfully disagree. So I have to rescind my objection because as I was sitting there and as I was listening to all the feedback, and that's why I love in-person Bible study, because we all have something to add to it. And, you know, like the good, better, best system. Acts 2, 42 through 46 is the best, right? It's the best example. But there's so many other examples of uh, different types of fellowship, hospitality, and things that can lead to deeper, stronger relationships and trust. And so I resend my objection here this morning in front of the congregation. So just what? Oh, I already talked to her beforehand. I already talked to her beforehand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's Italian, so she's probably going to hold on to it for a couple of weeks. But I'm Polish, and I understand. So. <laughs> But no, I just wanted to say that, though, because I was thinking about it. I said, you know, there's things that we should be dogmatic about, and that's not one of them, right? Because there are so many different ways that we can, and I know some of you are like, what are you talking about? Well, if you were at Bible study this morning, you'd be able to understand this conversation right now. <laughs> and, you know, there are so many things we can be dogmatic about, but that's, that's not one of them. Let's just make sure that we're all trying to do something, right? We're all trying to do something in order to make sure that, uh, that we're uh, building stronger relationships, whether it's in the home or outside of the home, and maybe eventually it'll lead to the home, and we get to that example of Acts 2 and 46, because we do live in different times and culture. And I say all that to say, because if you look on the screen behind me, today's lesson is on taking ownership. And when we think about this lesson on taking ownership, I have a question for you here this morning. Can you remember the last time you washed a rental car? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Can you remember the last time you made a bed in a hotel room? Probably not. You know, because people usually don't wash rental cars. People usually don't make beds in hotel rooms because there's the lack of motivation. There's the lack of motivation of ownership in those situations. It's not my room, not my bed, not my mess. Somebody else will get clean, clean it up. That's what they get paid for, right? It's not my car. Somebody else will clean it. That's what they get paid for. There's that lack of ownership, so we tend not to take care of those things. But I wonder if sometimes the same principle is true in the church and with God. Because I really contend, until we feel a sense of ownership in our faith, and our faith begins to kind of take that next step, I wonder if we always feel a sense of ownership. Do sometimes we start to think, well, that's somebody else's job. I'll let somebody else do it in the church. I'll let somebody else make the proverbial uh, bed. I'll, like, I'll let somebody else watch the proverbial car. And so I wonder, when we think about taking ownership of our faith, how often do we then look at uh, the scriptures and when the Bible calls us sons and daughters of God, in families, are there obligations that we have within a family unit? And sometimes, are there not different, opera, different things that are divided up within the family unit, and we have different obligations? And so I just want us to think about this idea of taking ownership this morning. Because the things that you are passionate about in life, it seems like when we're passionate about something, we tend to take a little bit more ownership than if I wasn't passionate about something. 
Why? Because it's something that I'm all in for. And so I want us to ask the question here this morning, do you believe that you're sons and daughters of God? And if you believe that you're a son and daughter of God, how does that change the thought process you should have about your faith? How does that change the thought process you should have about the church and about the kingdom? You know, if you look on the screen behind me, and I look to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, and the Apostle Paul said, uh, through the Holy Spirit, he says, And I will be a father to you, says God, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says Lord Almighty God. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, but I wonder how many times we really stop and consider that we are children of God. And as children of God, we're in the family of God. And then ask yourself, what does that mean for my faith? What does that mean for my obligation to said family? I think about the Apostle Paul when he wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. And the scriptures say, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And so if we are being led by the Spirit, the Holy, uh, the Holy Word of God, because isn't it the Holy Spirit that led the first century writers? And so if we are all being led by the same Spirit, we are all sons and daughters of God, ask yourself, is it evident in your life that you are being led by the Holy Spirit? that you are being led by the New Testament scriptures, that you are being led by the will of God. And if it is true that you are a son and daughter of God, you are being led, what does that mean for your life? What does it mean for your faith? What obligations do you have to God and his family as being a member of that family? The point of today's lesson, brethren, is for us to determine if we have the mindset of ownership when it comes to the church, when it comes to the kingdom, when it comes to our individual faith. Because if you are a member of this congregation, then you must never look at this congregation as, as the hotel room. Meaning that it's somebody else's job to fill in the blank. It's somebody else's job to wash the car, to, to make the hotel bed. You see, if we're members of this congregation, and we've confessed Christ, we've been baptized for the remission of our sins, God has added us to the body of Christ, moving forward... Are you going to be wholly dedicated unto God? Or are there other things in life that are pulling you away and pulling your allegiance to the family, so to speak, away? Are there worldly things that maybe I need to kind of put a, give a hiatus to because I need to spend more time with my family and my obligations to my family? Isn't that why so many marriages fall apart? Because husbands and wives don't fulfill their obligations within the family unit? And yet, why, isn't that why there's so much strain sometimes within, uh, with parents and their children? Because the children aren't living up to the obligations that are expected of them by the parents? Well, then look at that mindset and that, that analogy about God the Father, right? And that the church is the bride of Christ. Well, what obligations do we have as the bride of Christ? What obligations do we have to our Holy Father in, in, in God and in, in the kingdom. These are the questions that I want us to consider because I want us to understand that all family in the church and outside the church have family obligations. And that's why it's so important that we have proper understanding of what those obligations are. We know that God tells us as members of the body of Christ that we should love one another. We see that in scripture. We are to encourage one another, to forgive one another, to love one another, to financially support one another, to carry, out, to carry our load, to respect one another, to help bear each other's burdens, to act peacefully towards one another so, so far as it depends on us, that we are to care for our sick members and on and on and on. I want you to listen to a story real quick. There was a man, uh, Napoleon's men, 
Uh, back in the time of Napoleon, his men invaded a little Russian village. And they found, this, uh, they found that, that there, there was one of the citizens that had, uh, uh, that had not fled. Almost all of the citizens had fled except for one. And this one uh, peasant, he was, a, he was a Russian woodsman and a peasant. And he refused to flee his village. He refused to flee his home. He refused to flee Russia. And the French captain ordered that he be shot dead. But this French captain saw how fearlessly he was standing before the firing squad, and instead he ordered them to lower their guns. He said instead of killing this man, the captain had ordered the peasant to be marked. And so they branded him at the, at the, at the order of the captain. And when the branding iron was heated sufficiently, it was placed in the palm of the woodman's hand. And it was, as it was placed into the palm of his hand and his flesh was burning, it left behind the letter N. And the peasant looks at it, he's in great pain, and he asks, what's the meaning of this? And he says, that is the letter N. It stands for Napoleon, you now belong to him. And so the man, the gentleman, stood there for a moment, and he was in great deal of pain, and he was just disgusted by everything that is happening. He thought what he should do. He picks up his woodsman axe, and he puts his hand on the nearest table, and he chops his hand off. He says, the hand may be belong to Napoleon, but I belong to Russia. He says, I will always be, uh, uh, I will always be uh, diligent and loyal as a loyal citizen of Russia. You think about that peasant that laid his hand down on something hard as he was being mocked by the, by the soldiers, as he was being ridiculed by the soldiers. They removed his own hand from his body. Brethren, that is the type of dedication that I want to see in the church. I'm not calling for the removal of limbs. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to make sure we state that here live on YouTube. I am not calling for the removal of limbs. But what I am calling for, brethren, is to be solely committed to God and the kingdom like this man was to his country. You know, we think about patriotism, we think about different stories that can be given about patriots, great patriots of previous generations in this country. And we think about in this, in this example of this man here. This man was solely committed and totally dedicated to his country. I ask that when we think about the obligation of family as being children of God, how, how dedicated are we? How committed are we to the kingdom of God? How far are we willing to go to show the commitment that we have to God and family? Not God and country, but God and family. You see, brethren, because we are aliens and sojourners in this world, are we not? And this world is not our home. And so our uh, dedication, our, our, our affiliation, our loyalty, and our commitment needs to be to God and kingdom. And so we think about this analogy here, brethren. I want us to know that the church needs today, we need, we're in desperate need of individuals, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are fully surrendering their lives to God, who are completely committed to the, to the furtherance of the, of the kingdom in the church, and that we're totally dedicated children, and that the world should see that we're dedicated. And to live a life solely surrendered to Christ involves a sense of denial. You look at the passage of scripture on the screen behind me in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24 and 25. What did Jesus have to say about a similar thought process? Well, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must do what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow after me. What does it mean to take up your cross and follow after me? That means you, to be, you are to be totally uh, committed and dedicated to the cause of God. That's what it means to take up your cross and to follow after him. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Brothers and sisters, to live a life of self-denial does not mean that we must deprive ourselves of physical necessities of life. It simply means that we're living Christ-centered lives. Is Christ the center of your life? Is he on the pinnacle of your, of the, the, on the throne of your life, if you will? Does all things uh, come after God and church and kingdom? You see, there are many, we are pulled in many different directions in life and in culture and society. Whether it's our careers, whether it's our families, whether it's the dual income household, we're, we're pulled in so many different ways. And yet, does that give us the oper- does that give us the excuse to why we then can't do as much for the church? No, those are, that's reality. We are pulled in different directions, but we could still be just as dedicated and committed to the Lord. I may not be able to do as much right now as I would like to, but I could do something. And that something is something that we need to do as individuals, and then the, the church is going to flourish, it's going to grow, it's going to be productive. Why? Because each and every person is doing their part. They're taking ownership of, their, of the church. They're taking ownership of their faith. And they're not treating the church or their faith like the rental car that we don't wash, or the hotel room that we don't clean or make the bed. So brothers and sisters, it simply means that we are to have Christ-centered lives. Remember what the Apostle Paul said to the people of Galatia in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life of which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. What's the point of that passage of Scripture? He says, it's no longer I, Paul, the Apostle, who live. It's Christ who lives in me. That's what matters. That's what's important. And we need to have a similar attitude that says, not as I will, Lord, but as you will. When we pray, how often do we pray, not my will, but your will be done? When Jesus, when John 17 was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was, the, he was in tears, he was in distress, he was sweating blood, literally blood was coming out of his pores because he was so distressed, he says, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And so, brethren, I often ask ourselves, how often do we say, not my will, but your will be done? For you are the potter, I am the clay, mold me and make me after thine own will, Lord. You see, brethren, from the time that we, how often do we sing certain songs, right? And there's a song that's uh, all to Jesus, I surrender. And I brought the songbook up here, and I want us to sing the first stanza. Many of you probably know this by heart, I do not. I'll mess it up horribly if I try to. And so we're going to sing the first stanza of All to Jesus I, I Surrender. 662, if you want to turn there. All to Jesus I Surrender. 662. I want us to sing this song, and in light of today's, we're only going to sing the first stanza, but in light of today's lessons, I want you to think of the words as we sing the song, and then ask yourself, are you taking ownership of your faith? Do you believe the words that we sing? All to Jesus I Surrender, 662. Here we go. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender.
Now you guys know why I don't sing. I am the absolute worst singer in the world. I'm horrible at it, right? And so that's why I just stopped. Christy's laughing up here. She's like, wow, this is on, this is on YouTube, huh? So I'm probably going to get more hits this week than ever. But, you know, we think of those words, all to Jesus I surrender. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I freely give. I will always love him and trust him. In his presence I will strive to daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. How often do we sing these songs and they just become like, just like habit, like second nature. We just sing them, but we don't really consider the words. Because that, that song, in, in, in conjunction with the idea of taking ownership of our faith, and do we really understand the family obligation of being a son and daughter of God, is so very important. Because, brethren, in this song we just sang, we either believe the words or we don't. We either live by the words or we don't. And so living a life surrendered to Jesus involves giving Jesus our very best. And that's in every aspect of our life and every aspect of our faith. Consider these passages of Scripture. If you look on the screen behind me, Exodus chapter 20 says, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Luke chapter 10, we must love God with all our hearts, all our soul, all our mind. Matthew chapter 6, we must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What's the point of looking at those passages in conjunction with, the, with this section of Scripture? Because we have many gods in the world, right? We have turned many things into God that take a priority over God. And that's something that we have to be solely aware of, is that what have we turned into gods that have become more important to us, our lives, our families, our survival, than God himself? You see, brethren, we need to understand that as Christians, we should regularly examine our walk from God, our walk with God, and ask ourselves, what is de distracting me? What is taking me away from fulfilling my God-given obligation as a member of the Lord's church, as a member of his family? Ask yourself, are you giving your very best to God in the church in regards to time and energy, in regards to resources or talents? Ask yourself if you're doing all you can to volunteer your time to help with congregational projects or ministries. Ask yourself if you're supporting the efforts of the congregation as often as you can, whether it's in regards to worship, whether it's in regards to Bible teaching, whether it's in regards to fellowship events. Ask yourself if worldly things are regularly interfering with serving Christ as you should. You see, brethren, these are all important questions that to, to, to really stop and examine and to determine if we are giving God our best, if we are really taking ownership of our faith and taking ownership of the church. I recently read in life that life is kind of like a tennis match. The one who serves the best usually wins. The one who serves the best usually wins. How can we apply that mindset to the church? Well, there's a few passages of Scripture that talks about a Christian's responsibility in regards to servitude. When you look on the screen behind me and you see Romans and you see Mark behind me, in Romans chapter 12 it says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, but fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And if the Son of Man came to serve... How much less is it going to be expected of us? God put on flesh 
and came and washed the saints' feet, washed his disciples' feet, and served in all aspects of his ministry, and set the ultimate example of how we are to love and to be compassionate and caring and kind and servants. Brethren, Jesus also taught that if any wish to be great among you, let him be your servant. If anyone desires to be chief amongst you, let him be your servant. When you examine the life of Christ, brethren, Jesus went from place to place, serving the people that he came to protect, serving the people that he came to save. And he did so through teaching, he did so through healing, he did so through encouragement, and so many other ways that could be, that could be mentioned here this morning. But I also think about, we need to consider the idea of living sacrificial lives when we think about this obligation that we have as a member of the Lord's church. Did you know that all Christians are priests? When we think of the word sacrifice, many times in scripture you'll find shortly after it, usually about the priesthood. And we look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, you also live as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You think about 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possessions, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous lights. Brethren, as priests, we are to offer up following uh, the following sacrifices to God. We are to offer up the sacrifice of praise. We're to offer up the sacrifice of our bodies. We're to offer up the sacrifice of good works. I know this because the scriptures teach me this. And when I think about offering up praise to God, the author, the, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 says, Through him, talking about Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And so we offer up the fruit of our lips, which is offering a sacrifice unto God. Praise is the appropriate response every time that we come into the presence of God, every time that we think about God, and every time we think about all that he accomplished through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. We should offer up praise and thanksgiving. I think about offering up our bodies and what the scriptures tell me in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And in Romans 12 and verse 1, it says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. That's the wrong one. Uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice that's acceptable to God and pleasing in his sights. Brothers and sisters, when you are truly uh, starting to understand and when you truly consider all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ and through the sacrifice of his son, how can we do anything less than offer up a similar type of sacrifice? Offering up our lives, offering up our praise, offering up our works in order to further the kingdom of God. Brethren, it is so important that as we look at the scriptures here this morning, that we remember the very words of the gospel of Matthew from Jesus in Matthew chapter 25. Lord, when do we see you hungry? And feed you? When do we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to even one of the least of these brothers of mine, it's as if you did it to me yourself. You see, brethren, there are many ways that we are to offer up 
sacrifices unto the Lord, whether it's through our bodies, whether it's through our praise, whether it's through our good works, whether it's through our talents, whether it's through our financial means. Brethren, we are to offer these praises unto God because that is our obligation as a member of the Lord's church, as our obligation as a son and daughter of God. And as Christians, we should strive to always be shining a light in a dark and sinful world. As Christians, we should live in such a way that reveals our Christ-like mindset to the world. You have heard me say many times that we are to be like many Christs. And what do I mean by many Christs? Well, we're to be a reflection of Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we are to preach Christ in all situations of life. Before I close this lesson down, brethren, I would need you to, to listen to this poem. I've used it before, but it's, it's, it's fitting for this lesson here this morning. You are the gospel. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day. By the deeds you do and the words you say, men read what you write, whether faithless or true. So what is the gospel according to you? Men read and admire the gospel of Christ with his love so, so dependable and true. But what do you think? And what do you say of the gospel according to you? What a wonderful story, the gospel of love, as it shines its love, uh, Christ's life divine. I pray that its truth might be spoken again in the story of your life and mine. You are writing each day a letter to men. Take, urge, take care that the writing is true. Is the only gospel some may read is the gospel according to you. Brothers and sisters, as we get ready to shut this lesson down, as Christians, how are we living our lives? And how often do you, do you consider if your life and how you live actually matters? Because how we speak matters, does it not? Doesn't James 1 and 26 say, he who cannot control his tongue, is, his faith is worthless? So how you speak matters. How you react to adversity matters. How you treat and raise your kids matters. How you dress matters. How you treat your spouse matters. How you forgive one another matters. How you show love and kindness matters. The type of attitude that you display in all arenas of life matters. Brethren, if we are to be the light of Christ, then we cannot look and act like those who don't know Christ. That is why we are to be sanctified, set apart. What sets us apart? The word of God and, the, and us shaping and forming our lives as a new creation in Christ we are to use the word of God to be like many Christs. When you claim the name Christian, like it or not, people will judge Christianity based on you. I think of Alexander the Great before I close it down. Alexander the Great, this was a man who had uh, believed, uh, this, is, this is the man who is believed to have conquered much of the known world during his time. And he wept, it says, that he wept because there was no more of the world to conquer. In his army, there was a man who was also known as a, cow as a coward. His name was also Alexander. And Alexander called him into his tent one day, and he said to the man, You either change your name or you change your cowardly ways. Brothers and sisters, when you wear the name Christian, we need to live up to that name. And if you're not going to choose to live up to that name, then we need to change the name in which we identify with. Do you understand that simple concept? We can live up to the name of Christians by living surrendered, sacrificial, serving, spiritual, forgiving, and loving lives. And you think about that simple analogy. We need to change our names just like Alexander told the cowardly soldier that, that shared his name if he wasn't willing to do and to change his ways. So as we close this down, remember how much God loves you. Remember how much Jesus had sacrificed on your behalf. Remember all that we have 
is because of Christ Jesus and the victory that he won for us, not only on the cross, but through his resurrection. Make today the day that you start to take ownership of your faith. Make today the day, if you're not living as you should, the day that you're going to start to, uh, to really take seriously the idea of being a, a son and daughter of God and what that means for your obligation to the kingdom, what that means for your obligation to the church. So brothers and sisters, if you're here today and you're hearing this lesson and you're struggling, you could come forward this morning and we'll pray for you and we'll try to help you the best of our ability. If you're here this morning, but you're also not a child of God, but you've been thinking on it for a while and you've been desiring to become a child of God, you could do that today. You don't need to wait any longer. You could become a son and daughter of God this morning. You could have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism. You could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God himself will add you to the kingdom if you come forward as we stand and sing.